Hello, all, and welcome to Common Rider Double A. I am Adam, and I am diving headfirst into the hell abyss that is Tokusatsu, and it's been quite a ride so far. Would you say you are ready to watch some Tokusatsu? I don't. I if that was a reference, I didn't get it. The Common Rider Kiva episodes that we just watched. Oh, <laughs> feast on! Wow, that was a brain fart. Yeah, this was a good arc, I think. Ticked a lot of the boxes for me. It had a cool monster of the two weeks, I guess. and Monster of the fortnight. <laughs> That's, yeah, that. And yeah, there's a good st- amount of stuff to talk about in here. And so if you don't have anything else to say, I guess we can go ahead and dive in. Yeah, we can dive into episode nine, Symphony, Ixa Fiston, written by Toshiki Inoue, and directed by our ever-present friend, Hidenori Ishida. Woo! We start this episode with Wataru playing a newly crafted violin. Unsatisfied with it, he burns it outside his house. Shiska comes running up, and he whines to her about the futility of replicating the bloody rose. In 1986, Jiro is being presented with one of those whip-knife fangire slayers like what Yuri has. I think they're called the Fangire Buster. I could be wrong, though. Oh, not the Fangire Reaper? No, I'm pretty sure it's not the Fangire Reaper. Not the Fangire Eviscerator? Stop this. If you insist. (laughs) Shima congratulates uh, Jiro and welcomes him into the Blue Sky Organization. Jiro also formally gives us his name at long last. We've known him for, what, like, three episodes now and he finally introduces himself i think this is episode four either way we've known him for too long to not know his name yeah yuri is unusually giddy about jiro joining the organization as well she's riding that sex high (laughs) do you think that that's the implication at, at the end of last episode they definitely boned down after the end of last episode you you think so I'm sorry, I just, I I try not to read your synopses before the episode, and I try not to read too far ahead, but I just read a little far ahead on this paragraph for this scene, and I love you. (laughs) I just do what I can. Anyway. (laughs) But I I think they boned down. Okay. I mean, you gotta get that wolf D, I guess. (laughs) Otoya walks in and in a funny scene asks Shima if he can join the organization. Because he did try to save Yuri and almost succeed twice. Yeah, he got partway. That at least deserves some merit. Yuri says that Otoya should join the Alaskan branch of the organization. And Otoya says that he'll form his own organization. no, No, it's not just that Yuri says that they should. She says it and Boss is like, yes! Yeah. Like, you know, this entire time he's been deaf. He's been, he banned Atoya from the shop for passing out after drinking a metric gallon of coffee. And now, and now he's like, all right, let's send him to Australia. And the way he, have you ever listened to any of John Mulaney's uh, stand up? I'm not familiar with him, no. Basically, he has this bit about how Mick Jagger, when he responds to questions, because he's Mick Jagger, and doesn't need to act like a human being, he'll go like, yes, no, yes, 
and that's that's how Boss was acting this episode. He heard, "Hey, let's send the Toya to Alaska," and he went, "Yes." <laughs> but yeah, Otoya, he Yuri wants to shaft him up to the Alaskan branch, and Otoya says that he'll form his own organization with blackjack and hookers. <laughs> he would. <laughs> He absolutely would. I'm surprised he hasn't already. <laughs> and he just call he just only recruits women and calls them all Yuri. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's the one it's the wonderful Love Yuri Asa organization is how, what he called it. Yeah. In response to this, Yuri uppercuts him into the cafe ceiling. Which is like that's that's some Fangire level strength right there. Like Maybe boning down with a werewolf gave her werewolf strength. Like an STD. I mean, were- werewolfism is basically an STD already. You're not wrong. It, yeah, in most, in most werewolf myths. And a lot of weird fiction. The status of being a werewolf is essentially being unconstrained by society's uh, norms and what basically civilization deems acceptable. It's basically being a raw sexual creature is what being a werewolf is a metaphor for. Or if it's being human, it's a metaphor for having an STD. Yeah, that too. No, I th- that's vampirism. Never mind. And being, in, in being human, so many of the, uh, so many of the paranormal things are just metaphors for STDs. <laughs> oh, you mean the TV show? Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't catch that. Yeah. Like, well, being dead is, I mean, it's not really a metaphor in that case. It's just that she's dead. Yeah. The vampirism is equivalent to like uh, being an ex-alcoholic. Uh-huh. And then the uh, werewolfism. Lycanthropy? Yeah, lycanthropy is uh, essentially like somebody who has an, an STD, like something that like affects the rest of their life. Like they need to make sure not to spread it. And like they have to... It's... Being Human is a very good show. Interesting. Man, now I want to watch it. But anyway, back in 2008, Wataru's about an, about to burn another dissatisfactory violin. This violin has failed me. Burn it like the rest. Oh, oh dear Shizuka, I cannot bear to glance upon the violin. It is emblematic of all my failures. <laughs> well, Wataru's not nearly that Regency area. Oh my, Shizuka. I'm beginning to have the vapors. Shizuka interrupts this burning by taking the violin and introducing Wataru to a man called Omura. According to Shizuka, Omura is a renowned violin repair specialist. Shizuka hands the violin to him and he proceeds to put it into the fire. In agreement with this, Wataru keeps Shizuka from trying to take it back out. Which is kind of incredibly sweet because. I think this is the first time that someone has acted on Wataru's level when it comes to his eccentricities. Yeah. Like, Shizuka will, like, kind of go along with stealing shit to, like, make the perfect varnish. But oftentimes they're like, oh, no, you shouldn't actually do that or whatnot. Or, like, you know, earlier this episode and, like, at this scene, Shizuka being like, hey, no, don't burn the violin. This person sees what Wataru is doing and is like, hey, you are right for doing this. Like, here's some validation and also some fire. (laughs) 
And now some burning wood. But yeah, that's that's a very good point. You can tell that he doesn't really do it, that he doesn't burn the violin out of a sense of malice, but it seems almost like encouragement, I think. Like, yeah, you could do better than this, kid. Wataru tells Omura that he'd like to make a violin that is just as good as the one his father made, i.e. the Bloody Rose. Omura asks to see the Bloody Rose, and they step into Wataru's workshop. Uh, so, uh, you know, actually, I'm going to let you finish with this scene, then I'm going to ask you a question uh, about your theories when watching the episode. Continue? Sure. Omura examines the Bloody Rose and tells Wataru that he shouldn't try to replicate it, but instead to make something of his own. Wataru, kind of taken with this with this man, uh, then asks to be brought under Omura's tutelage. Yeah. Oh, by the way, can I mention the wild editing where he's just stand, standing there, like eyes gazing out into the distance, like he's having some sort of like fits while he's hearing the sounds of Atoya's violin. And then it's like, uh, Omura-san, Omura-san. It's like, what? Oh, oh. He, he seemed to be smelling. At first, I thought it was because he was kind of a... Eccentric violin crafter? Well, that, and he found the, the workshop to be nostalgic in its atmosphere or something. It, it was nostalgic, just for not for the reasons I thought at first. It, it was it was interesting editing. I'm not going to say bad. Like it did, you know, it did see the idea of this is a place familiar to him. But right, uh, I'm going to sort of ask you a question about at any point in the episode, did you believe that Omura cra- helped Otoya craft the Bloody Rose? I did. Yes. Yeah, because it's it feels to me like it was it's sort of a fake out where they introduce this legendary or violin creator who, like, spoiler alert for episodes that we're reviewing. Yeah, it's... And he gives that long, meaningful look at the Bloody Rose, and I don't know, at this point, I think he might come back in the 86 part of the story, even though he dies in the next episode in the present day, or 2008. He may come back later as a past version of himself and just i don't know come to otoya and say oh hey I, i'm gonna make a violin that senses fangires and may trap your soul and may and make you say get them bitches get them hosts to your son every once in a while <laughs> i forgot that's what the bloody rose was in your head canon uh either way in 1986 a woman and a rehearsal hall is playing of black violin. A suspicious-looking man in shades walks up from outside. We're then treated to a scream and the black violin falling to the floor. Cut to the cafe, where Shima is telling Otoya about how whoever comes into possession of the Black Star violin tends to disappear. Yahoo! I'm Black Star, the greatest assassin in the world! Oh God. Yeah, I, I made that connection too, and I couldn't... I couldn't get it out of my head for a good while. That's a Soul Eater character. It's a good show. It's a better manga, though. No, it's not. The anime ending is better than the manga. We'll have to agree to disagree, but... Uh, no, I'm I'm just going to straight up disagree to disagree. <laughs> Fuck you, Adam. I know, I'm the worst. Love you. Hearts. 
Yeah, yeah, XOXO and all that. Whoever comes into its possession seems to disappear, and that it seems to be indicative of Fengire activity. Cut to a little bit later, and Yuri is asking Shima why he told Otoya about this case. They change the subject to the development status of the Ixa Rider system. Yuri asks Shima that she be the one to have it once it's completed, and... and Well, I mean, she's she's kind of the only person in this organization besides Jiro, the guy they hired three hours ago. So she, like, she's kind of the person that deserves it the most at this point. Yeah, she has seniority, I guess. And maybe this is a hint that the Alaskan branch is the only one that gets shit done. Because they're the only ones with more than three members. Yeah. That's that's why there are no Fangai in Alaska. Yeah. Have we ever had an episode where Alaska's in trouble with the Fangai? No. Do you know why? Because, like, Tim McGraw, the Fangai hunter there, is already taking care of him. Yeah. Don't ask me why I said Tim McGraw. It was literally the first name I could think of. <laughs> but also, Shima also just seems to like to fuck shit up. Because, like you yeah, said, he's he, kind of a troll. He, he just no, he just straight up tells Otoya, a person he's repeatedly denied entry into his organization to, like, "Hey, here's a magic violin that that gets people killed. See ya." Yeah, and the 2008 gym where Shima works out, and I assume he just owns the place. I like to think it's a public gym that just doesn't have any business. And he's just the only person going to it, probably because it's filled with the bestest. Yeah, the best equipment. Megami is petitioning Shima in there to redesignate herself as Ixa's user. Keisuke comes up and pretty arrogantly proclaims that he's a better user on account of just being superior. They bicker some more, and Keisuke says that ultimately, Ixa itself decides who uses it. And also, I'm the only one who can understand Ixa, so shut up. It shows me. Goodbye. Yeah. In Wataru's workshop, Wataru and Omura are crafting a violin. Shizuka comes up the stairs with a tray of tea, but she trips and falls, causing the china to loudly shatter. This apparently gives Omura sensory overload, and he excuses himself, as Kivat calls the whole thing suspicious. Same, Omura. Same. Like, that... I have that same reaction to loud, clattering sounds. It's not great, especially when you're on the spectrum. I'm like 90... I'm going to bring that down to 80% sure I'm not on the spectrum, but loud, clattering noises like make me need to just leave the room. Yeah, they're pretty bad, I guess, for anyone. In 1986, we're placed in one of those creepy masked rich people auctions. Oh, oh by, by the way, hold up. Before we switch scenes, uh-huh. can I say how funny I found it that Kivat in this scene is just hanging out in his little violin perch next to his, like, uh, Mussolini or whatever it's called picture with the lady with the long neck? It's just such an adorable little perch. He just chills it's there. cute, yeah. And, like, no one comments on, hey, is that a... Is that a bat monster hanging out in that perch thing? And none of the Fangires... There there have been two Fangires that have walked into Wataru's workshop at this point, And neither one has seems to be capable of sensing Kivat. 
I'm so used to the trope in anime when supernatural beings or people can sense each other's presence or their key or whatever, but that never seems to be the case with Kiva. I mean, they also can't sense Wataru, and he's Kiva, so... That's true. Although the the lawyer Fangire, the Fangire with apparently the worst law degree in history ever... She got it from a community college. If you watch Community, you can see her in the background. <laughs> but uh, she knew that Ki- that uh, Wataru was Kiva, so she probably wouldn't be surprised by that. In 1986, we're placed in one of those creepy masked rich people auctions where the Black Star violin is up for grabs. You you didn't have those growing up? The masked rich people auctions? Yeah, you didn't go to those, you know, every other... Uh... Every other first Saturday of the month? Nope. My parents were teachers. Huh, weird. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> no, we're not We're not escaping this. I expect you in the very near future to just do a noble woman's laugh and just be... <laughs> yeah. Come here, Josan. <laughs> Damn bourgeois. Yuri and Jiro place a bid on the Black Star violin, which is up for auction... But motherfucking Otoya comes moonwalking in wearing a Tengu mask. <laughs> this is my favorite. I, this might be one of my favorite scenes in Kiva because I never, I have never forgotten this scene. Like I will never forget this scene. Like Otoya doing the da 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 to like raise the bid, not once but twice. Like him, like knocking on his head with his goddamn shoe. <laughs> And meanwhile, Yuri just getting more and more frustrated, going, like she's goddamn SpongeBob showing Patrick all the goddamn uh, diapers. (laughs) Yeah. Otoya's just just a fucking goober. So great. Also, he's apparently very wealthy because he's willing to just drop 200 million yen, which I'm pretty sure is just 2 million American dollars. For our U.S. listeners. Otoya keeps raising the bid, and Yuri tries outbidding him in response. Jiro does a Vulcan nerve pinch on Otoya, and the bidding ends with Yuri taking the Black Star. Later, Jiro and Yuri are walking outside. Yuri says that it's now only a matter of waiting until the Fangire shows up. She opens the violin case and atrociously plays the Black Star a bit. And Jiro looks like he's having a god... It's the same face he makes when he drank Boss's coffee, but this time it's just radiating disgust. And it's like, oh god, I can't (laughs) believe... Oh god, oh, I made a horrible mistake. Oh god. Oh, this woman. Oh, what have I done? She can literally kill creatures with this... She can literally kill creatures with this violin technique. She killed all the fish. She killed several fish with this violin... In the, she stood out in the pier, which I'm guessing was empty because she murdered everyone with her violin playing, and they managed to drag the corpses out of the way. <laughs> everyone just had seizures, and fortunately, someone called an ambulance, but only three people survived that day. God, one of them was Keisuke's dad, which is why uh, Keisuke is all messed up. It actually the. This was before Keisuke or 
around the time he was born, I guess, but... He's a little older than Wataru, so he could have been a young boy. The plane at the violin plane just gave Keisuke's dad a benign tumor, which eventually became malignant, and by the time Keisuke was grown, the tumor was compelling the elder Nago to just... Do crime? Yeah. <laughs> by, by the way... I, for a second, I forgot how human beings worked, and I thought you were going to say it created a tumor that over time became Keisuke. <laughs> Keisuke, the living tumor, created by Yuri's horrible, horrible violin. Oh, yeah. O Otoya comes up and just tries to save the world. <laughs> You've got to stop. Your playing is so bad, it's causing tectonic shifts. Volcanoes are erupting all across the world. Mount Yellowstone has already gone off. America is a wasteland. Relay has risen from the sea and Cthulhu has awakened. But yeah, Hotoya comes up and demands that she stop. Jiro punches him, knocking him out. We end this scene with a mysterious individual wearing shades looking it, on It's his... Omura. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not trying to hide that it's Omura. It's obviously Omura. Yeah, but I didn't recognize him at this point as I was watching. All right, I guess I can't say that it was too obvious then. <laughs> I do have hindsight. Yeah. Like, this is one of my favorite... Two I just realized, I think last episode I also said this is one of my favorite two-parters, but this is another... This show is putting out banger after banger. Like... This is a really good series of episodes. In Watar's workshop, our soft boy and Omura are continuing to craft a violin. Wataru asks Omura if he had ever made any violins of his own, and Omura looks at the Bloody Rose and says that he's made a few. Over in that little restaurant that Megami frequents, she's trying to actually play nice with Keisuke, probably because she wants Iksa. <gasps> Who can't properly cross it? Because... You don't notice it too often, but like once someone points it out, you do. Keisuke always sits with his legs crossed in this very particular position, but this restaurant is so cramped, he can't manage it. Did you notice that? <laughs> oh, I didn't, but bringing it to memory, I see it now. Because like he's just trying to like get enough rooms, like, why is there no room? Because like this is a hole in the wall place that like is probably where there used to be an alley that somebody built a roof over and like he eventually manages to like push enough stuff out of the way to properly cross his legs <laughs> it's like a compulsion it's interesting all, all good supervillains cross their legs properly <laughs> all, all, all good malignant tumors cross their legs oh no Anyway, Megami's trying to play nice with Keisuke, treating him to lunch while asking if she can use Iksa. Keisuke shoots her down, saying that there's no point to her using it. And also that she should have, like, sprung for a better restaurant if she was trying to, like, get on his good side. It's a, it's a mom and pop shop. They got, they have their own charm. I, I believe that that place has the best uh, fried fish in the entirety of Japan. Oh, most certainly. But also, Keisuke, you spend 90% of your income on the Impoverished Orphans Fund. Like, you probably don't eat at nice places either. Keisuke, if you actually visited the orphans you're providing for... 
Oh, he he does. He treats them the same way he treats everyone else. Oh shit! <laughs> he is single-handedly responsible for the for just the utter mental destruction of so many orphans. Oh jeez. Oh oh, that's horrible. He has single-handedly created ten Batman copycats. <laughs> In 1986, Yuri is playing the Black Star on a pier. She's playing... In the background, you can see a tumor growing in a man that will eventually become Keisuke Nago. It's tumors in his pants. <laughs> it's just not one of his testicles at this point. <laughs> Continue. Anyway, Yuri's playing the violin so horribly that she has literally killed all the fish nearby. Otoya begs her to stop, but what makes her cease her racket is the man, who I may as well just state as Omura at this point, from earlier approaching them and turning into a fangire. He turns into a frog-like fangire and throws Otoya off the side of the pier. Uh, excuse me, will you, will you call him by his proper name? The evolutionary theory's golden ratio will be buried between papers. If there's symbolism in that, I, I can't pull it out. Also, by the way, his energy blasts are described as energy warts. I thought they were more like polyps, but yeah, I, I, I see that. Uh, apparent, apparently, they're energy warts, which is my favorite description of something. Yeah, that's that's quite a superpower. This man is played by uh, Katsuyuki Murai, who uh, played a character called Hanada in Kamen Blade Missing Ace. I'm not sure who that is. It's probably just like a minor character. However, he also played Murakami, the Rose Orphanoc, in Comrider Fies, in which he was one of the main villains. Yeah, he was in 38 episodes of that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was in in like the more or same amount of episodes as the secondary writer. Oh dang. Yeah, so this guy this guy is like not a big, big common writer actor, but like he he he's had a major role before. It'd be like if we saw uh, Wataru in another show being like a monster of the week. Interesting. But yeah, he throws Otoya off the side of the pier. Jiro comes running in and he and Yuri fight the frog a bit. The frog Fangai retreats, but Jiro catches up to him and assumes his wolf in form, which Otoya sees. Thankfully for uh, Jiro... Yuri managed to kill everyone else on the pier, so Toya's the only one that managed to see. Oh, that explains a lot. I mean, outside of the universe where Yuri's the greatest mass murderer in all of history, like, her playing was so awful, I very much accept that a bunch of people just left. <laughs> yeah, that, that does work. However, the frog leaps into the water and makes a, a, mar a maritime escape. As this encounter finishes, the Basha kid comes up to Jiro and asks why he's working with humans, while the other man from within Castle Duran joins them and states that humans are nothing but food. No, no, no. The way he says it is, humans are nothing but food. Yeah, and his, his body language was really weird as he said that. Also, I, I love each of the individual fashions of the Monster Trio, because they're called the Monster Trio. You know there's three of them because of Castle Duran. But Jiro looks like a goddamn, like, rebel without a cause, like, 
James Dean type uh, guy, just like with his leather jacket and glasses. Uh huh. Basha looks like a goddamn schoolgirl, like with his little. He, he looks like a Froppy's uh, friend in his in her uh, internship. The one with the sailor. Uh, serious. Yeah, serious. Yeah, at first, when I first saw him in the OP, I thought he was a schoolgirl. And meanwhile, like the third one, Big Boy, just he looks like he looks like he just got out of like a heavy metal band. That or a Michael Jackson music video. Maybe he was a, a reject dancer from Beat It. All of these guys are honestly fashion goals. Jiro reassumes human form and tells them that because all their respective races were wiped out by the Fangires, they all share an intense hatred for the stained glass critters. Jiro argues that they can use the humans in pursuing their vendetta against Fangiredom. Yeah, apparently the Fangires not only are attacking humans, but wiped out three other races. Minimum. Yeah. Werewolves and mermen, and whatever the other dude is. In 2008, Omura is serenely listening to that same violin tune we keep hearing through a pair of headphones. His listening gets interrupted, however, when he notices a rock band jamming out for a small crowd. Omura runs over and assaults the band members. Keisuke appears, gets Omura in a chokehold, and says that he has a record of violent assaults, uh, apparently identifying Omura as one of his bounties. Omura ships into his frog fangar form and leaps at Keisuke. I, I think you mean the evolutionary theory's golden ratio will be buried between papers. Girl, I, I don't have enough lung capacity to say that. Neither do I. I'm currently dying. Keisuke quickly produces a device that looks like a clenched fist and blows the frog away with a blast of kinetic energy. Keisuke is going to fist you. At the workshop, Kivat is doing the same thing he did when he was trying to warn Wataru about when the octopus Fangire was actually a Fangire. Wataru brushes him off again. The bloody rose reverberates and we change locales to where the frog Fangire is running from Keisuke. One henching into Kiva later, and Wataru and the f- and the frog start fighting. Kiva knocks the frog Fangire back into the form of Omura, and Kiva turns back into Wataru. Omura runs away, but they are now both aware of each other's identities. Is this the first real reveal that Wataru has had uh, for this? Uh, for, you know, him being Kiva? For him being outed as Kiva? I... Didn't Natsukawa had it figured out? She was the lawyer? Yeah, the lawyer. The worst lawyer in the history of Japan. She she probably knew because she was stalking the uh, Kuranai family for t- two generations. Uh, a few seconds later, and Keisuke quickly finds Omura. Keisuke does a henshin of his own and turns into common rider Iksa. Iksa beats the crap out of the frog and we... He is ready. Feast on... Iksa beats the crap out of the frog, and we end the episode with him advancing on him. And that's episode nine. You know, this is the first time we've had a new writer introduced in Comrader Kiva. And it's episode nine compared to Comrader Saber, the other show you've been watching, where we had 
just about one rider per week for the first six episodes. Uh-huh. I, I wanted to ask, how does it really compare to that? Because I, I noticed that it's built up a little more in the sense that we hear about Ixa and, uh, and K-Scape all the way back in episode two, I think. Yeah. But it's also kind of anticlimactic the way he just transforms suddenly. I don't think it is. I felt it was pretty impactful. Ixa has a pretty impressive debut, I think. I understand that there's some contention among the fandom as to whether it's better to have a lot of writers or just a few or one. But I I don't mind there being a lot of writers in Saber. B- bitch, we have not had a single, uh, only one writer since Kamen Rider Kuga. No, no, one, no one believes we will ever have only one writer again. Okay, I didn't know that. It's. I think the writers in Saber are cool. I think they're really neat and how varied they are. But their subsequent introductions are become increasingly less impactful, whereas Ixa, nine episodes into Kiva's, was pretty fucking cool, I think. And on that note, my writer of the week is common writer Ixa. Not Keisuke, but Ixa. <laughs> Good call. The suit has a really cool design, and it seems to hit. It seems to have more impact than Kiva's punches. It's also, it's also way more obviously mechanical in design. Yeah, like at the end of the episode when he's walking over to the uh, the evolutionary theories golden ratio will be buried between paper. Uh, when he's uh, advancing on that guy. His suit like opens up and releases heat and steam as if it has like exhaust buildup that it needs to get rid of. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of of how an Amazon writers when they assume Amazon form it releases a lot of heat. Yeah, and uh, he's pretty good. Uh, it's a pretty decent uh, writer of the week, especially since you made sure to explicitly say it's Iksa, not Keisuke. <laughs> For me, it's a uh, Kuranayotoya. Uh, because he shows up at an auction dressed as a Tengu, does the wildest shit to bid, is like as an is an individual and says, "Hey, I'll just drop two mil on this goddamn violin," and only loses to an organization because they Vulcan nerve pinched him. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, moving on from that, on the other side of the coin, my monster of the week is Yuri. She kept playing the violin even when she should have known she was no good with it. Even when she saw all life forms in a 5,000 mile radius die because of her playing, she continued to play. Have you ever heard the story of the barnacle who was too ugly? No. Or Sorry, just the ugly barnacle. Sorry, I was translating it from the original French, which is a bit longer, but the American version of the name is the ugly barnacle. Once upon a time, there was a barnacle that was so ugly that everyone died. The end. That's Yuri. If instead of ugly, it's horrible violin playing. Uh huh. Well, I'm sure I can derive a great many Aesops from that, from that little fairy tale there. It's a SpongeBob joke. Oh, I have not watched SpongeBob in so long. Uh, but continue with your monster of the week description because I stopped you at literally the first sentence. Also, anyway, Yuri was also about 200 yards away from Jiro when he assumed Wolfen form. She should know about Jiro's true nature instead of inevitably 
getting into a misunderstanding with Otoya later on about it. Yeah, was she was she just knocked out? Like, did we like miss seeing her get knocked out, or did they like forget to film that? Jiro sort of ran up to the frog fangar. The frog fangar dived off the pier and uh, and surfaced back up later after knocking Otoya off the pier as well. Uh, yeah, but like, did, but like, didn't Otoya show up to like protect your? I mean, either way, it's like kind of bad writing, but. Uh, my monster of the week is also Yuri because of her horrible, horrible, horrible violin playing. Yeah, she's worse than me in middle school when I played the viola, and that's saying something. All right, uh, you can cont- now. Let's continue on with our episode ratings. Yeah, this one didn't do too much for me. I'm. I think I'm going to be more generous with my rating than how I originally intended, and I'm going to give this a five point eight. The comedic moments are pretty good, but like seeing Otoya get uppercut into the rafters, I quite enjoyed that. But And we had Ixa's debut, but I hesitate to call it the debut because Ixa gets to really show their stuff in the next episode. I feel weird bringing this up right now, but this entire time I've had a switchblade in my hand and I've just been opening and closing it. And I, I just feel like I should have disclosed this earlier to you. <laughs> Did I say something wrong? No, no, no. I just like, we're sort of winding down on this episode. And I just like, I just realized I didn't tell you. And so I've just been having this knife in my hands. <laughs> well, I'm glad you told me now because you have me blindfolded and in a chair with my hands bound. Uh, I'm not sure how I'm reading the synopsis with the blindfold. But anyway, if you could put the knife away, that'd be cool. Uh, my episode rating will be a 7 out of 10 knives. This is actually his. He for, he left it at my parents' place when we were here for uh, the winter holidays. And now I have it. Sorry, I'm just staring at this knife and it's so beautiful. That doesn't matter. I'm giving it a 7 out of 10. Uh, the reason it's getting a 7 out of 10 is... I, I guess I agree it's not really the best episode. But I love the arc and I love what the next episode does which it couldn't have without this setup yeah that's very true but yeah that brings us to episode 10 well not yet because there's still something I have to tell you about episode 9 oh yeah what the hell is Lucifer metal uh well I would I was actually what I was going to tell you is that our viewership for this week for this episode of Comrade Kiva was 6.7% and as for what is Lucifer Metal? Uh, I'm going to uh, tell you a little something else. I'm going to tell you about Common Rider Ixa. Oh, please do. And I'm going to tell you about the hunting glass. The hunting glass is the eyes. They are ultra-wide lenses that possess a 180-degree field of view in front and video information captured is transmitted to the wearer inside the, via the helmet in helmet terminal. It also contains a type of night vision scope function that can even see in darkness with zero visibility, and a super X-ray, a function that allows Ixa to see through five meter thick iron plating. The hunting glass can record images via a digital camera lens and save it to a built-in disc. He actually, we actually saw two different modes of his. 
uh, we saw save mode, which is when his helmet is like uh, compressed. And then when it like goes open and has all the steam, uh, that is called burst mode. And by the way, burst mode adds two centimeters of height because the uh, helmet thing like rises a little bit, which is hilarious. But in save mode, its punching power is 4.2 tons, kicking power of 1.8 tons, maximum jump, jump height of 18 meters, maximum running speed 100 meters per 9.6 seconds. But for burst mode, punching power 7 tons, kicking power 3 tons, maximum jump height 30 meters, maximum running speed 100 meters and 6 seconds. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. I'd be a little more impressed. How many tons can you punch? I mean, on a good day, 50. Yeah, yeah. Also, he is one, he is one centimeter shorter than the frog fang guy. <laughs> uh, well, that's only in, in burst mode. In save mode, he's three centimeters shorter. Yeah, you can't judge a, a, a dick until it's fully erect, I guess. And uh, we're moving on now to episode 10, Saber Dance, Glossy Melody, written by Toshiki Inoue and written by Hidenori Ishida. Yep. And uh, Adam, I have a question. Do you know what the Saber Dance is? I think it's a one of the musical numbers from the Nutcracker. Am I wrong? Uh, no, it is the a movement in the final act of the ballet, Gayane. Uh, written by the Armenian composer Aram Kuchukurian and completed in 1942. That was in the middle of World War II. That man, in the same way that some people build gazebos in the middle of the Civil War, this man wrote a ballet in the middle of World War II. Yeah. It evokes a whirling war dance in an Armenian dance where the dancers display their skill as sabers. Its middle section incorporates an Armenian folk song, Giyurmi. Due to its exceptionally exciting rhythm, the saber dance established a place for itself in common concert practice, leading to various adaptations in popular music. Its recognizable ostantio popular melodies have made it a popular concert band piece. Also, I'm just going to let you know now we had 5.9% viewership for this episode, so we're dropping, boys. This episode opens right where we left off, with Ixa beating the crap out of the Omora Frog Fangire. As Ixa brandishes a gun, but before making him croak, Wataru jumps in front of the frog, shielding him. Wataru instructs the Frog Fangire to run, which he does. In response, Keisuke disengages his henshin and demands to know why Wataru protected the Fangire. Wataru, holding his knowledge of the frog's true identity close to his chest, only offers some rapid-fire apology bows. Which is, that's such an intense and honestly really sad scene. Like, it's not overtly sad like some of the other scenes this episode, but Wataru just being like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And Keisuke just being like, I don't care, tell me why you did that. And just ignoring the apologies, like... That was a very intense scene. Eh, I, I didn't quite get as much of that. Uh, but yeah, disgusted, Keisuke tells Wataru that he never wants to see him again, and he walks off. Huh, I wonder if that shun will last for the entirety of the series. Or the episode. 
Yeah. I guess we'll find out. In the 1986 cafe, Otoya is arguing with Yuri about Jiro. Otoya has informed her that Jiro is actually a monster, but she isn't having any of it, accusing him of just being envious of Jiro. Right on cue, Jiro walks in and Otoya accosts him with a pair of spoons. Very quickly, during this entire thing, Otoya is eating omelette rice, which, by the way, I've always wanted to have, but like I just didn't really like find it when I was like went to Japan this one time. And now that I gotta go to a maid cafe at the Moe Moe QQ. Closest I did, uh, closest I went to a maid cafe was a Naruto cafe. Uh, but he's eating omelet rice, and like he picks up his plate, walks over to Boss, like, "Hey, Boss, ketchup," and Boss throws it not towards him, but away from him. So he has to like dive and catch it. It's so good, and he catches it. Does not at all mess up his omelet rice. Sprays it back on, puts it down, and just goes to sit back down to enjoy his omelet. <laughs> and he, he just takes it like a champ, too. He doesn't really argue with Boss. He's just... Otoya's just a magic man. Otoya has mastered the art of existing. No one exists better than Otoya. Yeah, he's seen into the source code of reality and his, knows how just right where to tweak it. Otoya accosts Jiro with a pair of spoons, calling him a monster. Jiro counters by unloading the contents of said ketchup bottle straight into Otoya's face. And Otoya... He scoops up the ketchup and eats it. Yeah, yeah, he scoops the ketchup away from his eye. Like, if it was just that, it'd be like, okay, now he can see. But then he eats his eye ketchup and is like... (laughs) Eats his eye ketchup. Anyway, Jiro takes a moment to notice the music playing in the cafe, identifying it as an Onyanko club, which I did look up. That was a real girl group in the 80s. I think that was one of the first girl groups to ever exist. Maybe. Because I know that the 80s was like a big time of like modern Japanese culture existing. Uh huh. Uh, also, this is a callback to last episode, where uh, yes. bot, where Boss and Atoya had a similar conversation. All you listen to is Onyanko Club, and and Boss has Baromon do the cat paw motion, and it's it was kind of cute. Jiro recognizes the music, and Boss asks whether he likes them or not, and Jiro says that he does, especially girl number thirty-two, who I believe was. Susan Kumiko Yamato. She was the only biracial member of the of the group, apparently. Taking this as an affirmation of Jiro's humanity, everyone just fawns over him, basically. Well, that's a uh Well, that's because they were doing the test to make sure he wasn't the fan guy, or they haven't realized yet that there's more than one type of monster out there. They're like, well, we know that fan guyers absolutely despise Onyanako Club and they absolutely hate girl number 32. So that means he's definitely not a Fangire and if he's not a Fangire he's human. Yep. That's all there is in this world where the supernatural exists. Only humans and Fangires. And we've we've okay, uh, we've had a similar problem with the extermination crew and Amazon writers. 
The Blue Sky organization needs to vet their employees more thoroughly. This Jiro, the suspicious dude, who, while proven to be a good fighter, only goes by a given name and just had nothing but weird lately. Okay, in in the Blue Sky organization's defense, Yuri is mad horny. <laughs> but, but also, realistically speaking, I think it's a little better that it's the 80s. So it's not so it's not them messing up in 2015 and not noticing that somebody didn't exist until two years ago. Yeah. And like, if I remember correctly, Japan relatively recently just got out of like an economic depression and a series of like like you know riots and social reform so like that seems like the kind of like situation where like immense riots and social reform straight to you know the 80s seems like a time where you would meet a lot of people with only one name and no history Uh uh-huh that may be a fair point yeah I, I just feel that it's more socially acceptable to not have a past in the 80s for some reason. Yeah. For all they know, he might just be a drifter. Yeah, he's a goddamn rebel without a cause, motherfucker. Yeah. But his dropping the bit of a Nyanko Club trivia is like me, a literal lizard man, walking into a bar with a paper mask taped onto my snout and saying, Oh yeah, Garni Delia's anime openings and endings are good, but Violet Cry is a kick-ass EP. And then all the burly American truckers just lift their glasses in my honor and lift me onto their shoulders as I salivate at the prospect of biting their heads off. That's what it's like. But yeah, and Watar's workshop, our protagonist boy and Omura, are working on crafting a violin. Watar asks Omura if he actually kills people. Omura states that he's not eating anyone in 22 years, and I, this brings up questions that I'm going to ask soon. Wataru asks Omura why'd he stopped, and Omura tells him that was because he made a promise to a certain man. Omura begins regaling Wataru with the story of how he met Otoya, putting us back into 1986. So, at first, when Omura stated that he, quote, put his very soul into creating the Black Star, end quote. For a second, I thought he meant it literally, and that it was functioning like a sort of lich's phylactery. So that when he's destroyed, a dragon castle won't just straight up eat him. Well, not necessarily. Like, maybe sealing off a portion of his soul in the violin would have, I guess, frozen a part of his appetite and let him bypass having to eat people so that would be more of a a pleasurable exercise as opposed to one that's biologically necessary for him so yeah i i don't know that's what i thought at first but in 1986 pasto mura approaches yuri as she carries the black star up the stairs to what looks like a shrine probably there to kill more defenseless wildlife oh absolutely he demands that she return the Black Star, and he assumes Spangar form. Otoya jumps him, but only gets thrown into Yuri down the stairs. They tumble down the stairs and end up switching bodies, leading to a day of hijinks that culminates in them getting a better understanding of, a, of each other, except not. Uh-oh, it's freaky 1986. Ooh. Yuri gets back up and fights the frog a bed as Jiro rushes into the scene. <clears throat> oh. 
the evolutionary theory's golden ratio will be buried between papers. I don't know how you have the stamina for that. I don't. I'm still dying. <laughs> the frog retreats uh, after Jiro rushes in, and they check the violin case that the Black Star was in, only to discover that the cases have been switched. Yeah, and that... And the fake case is just filled with toys, including a symbol monkey. Yeah. They spent two point they spent two mil on that on that goddamn violin. Two mil and one yen. A few minutes later, Otoya is walking off with the black star. Jiro intercepts him and asks if Otoya is planning on taking over as the bait in their plot to lure out the sprog finger. Otoya incorrectly assuming that Jiro is a fangire, asks what he has to gain by hunting his own kind. Jiro denies being a fangire, but confirms that he is indeed something similar to them. Otoya presses the issue and asks what Jiro is after. Jiro makes a veiled threat against Yuri and Otoya. He says, that fox looks delicious, or that fox woman looks... It's so fucking creepy. But yeah, Otoya, being kind of a badass and rolling a nat 20 in dexterity, lifts Jiro's blue sky issued knife and holds it at him. Not just that, I don't think the listeners fully appreciate what it actually happened from that brief description. He grabs it, they flip around each other for a little bit, like, you know, twirling, and then it ends up with Otoya, his back kind of to Jiro, like hand over his shoulder, the fangire the fangire slayer thing like pointed at jiro's neck not open yet with otoya's finger on the trigger ready to stab jiro in the neck at a moment's notice yeah it was pretty cool otoya says that jiro will not do anything to hurt yuri as long as he's around and then otoya skips out of the scene like the goober he is and omura was watching this the whole time it should be noted he's always watching yeah the black star shall be mine. He's peeking out of my attic right now. Oh, oh, he retreated back up. He's outside my window. He's serenading me. He gets around, doesn't he? He's playing the black star. That's amazing. He fixed all the water that. Oh my god, he has po- He's inviting me to prom. <laughs> he wants me to go to prom with him as his date. Aww. No. You're awful. I hate you. Leave. Oh, now he's crying. Oh, this is the best day of my life. You could have let him down easy. I could have, but then he wouldn't be crying. Why do you want him to cry? Because I am the true monster. If you insist. I do. Okay. (laughs) In 2008, back at the Kurenai residence... Omera is telling Wataru about the Black Star and how particular he was about whoever came into its possession. We go back in time to the same location in 86 where Omura has followed Otoya into the Kurenai house. Omura demands to know whether Otoya is worthy of owning the Black Star and asks him to play it. Otoya declines and says that his own violin needs repair. To which Omura offers... You almost forgot something. What, what would that... During the scene with Omura and Wataru, they seem to be communicating with violin telepathy. <laughs> oh my god, you're... <laughs> Their lips do not move, 
but sound is coming out from their hearts. You're... They're able to communicate as Omura teaches what to do, the skills needed to create the perfect violin your... for him. Is your voice stuck like this, or is this is this a... No, this is a conscious choice. Okay. <laughs> I have unlimited power. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, straight up, they're just speaking through goddamn violin telepathy. <laughs> That's a fun term. Uh, where was I? Uh, uh, Omura wants to know if a toy is worthy of owning the Black Star. Yeah, uh, and asks him to play it. Omura, Otoya declines and says his own violin needs repair, to which Omura offers to repair it in exchange for hearing Otoya's playing. They each make good on their halves of this bargain, and Omura is in- instantly enraptured by Otoya's music. Otoya contemplates what to do with Omura. He is a fangire, after all. Omura says he can suppress his appetite for humans as long as he can hear Otoya's music. And this brings up a question. Is the Fangire's need to eat humans a physiological imperative or is it a psychological compulsion? Because Omura just lasts 22 years and he seems just fine without having eaten any humans. Uh, Not particularly fine, like, but... This is going to be spoilers for the future, but not like specific spoilers. And I think it's good to clear this okay. up now. Later on, a character mentions like starting up research in order to find an alternative food source for fangires. That's not human huh. souls. So it means it is physiological, but it could just like, but it could just be that fangire can go very long without eating human souls. Or, like, maybe eating, like, animal souls is, like, a way to keep yourself, like, going, but not to, like, properly feed yourself. Kind of like drinking water, but not eating. Okay, huh. Or, I was about to say, eating rats and vampire the masquerade. That's probably a better comparison. Well, later in a nighttime parking lot, Omura is walking with the Black Star in tow only to be ambushed by Yuri and Jiro. Who look so villainous. They look... Yeah, they beat up on him pretty viciously. To be fair, Omura is a murderer. But at the same time, they show up, they look they look like the bad guys in this scene. Like the way they're framed, the way the lighting goes. It's like, oh no, it's the Fangire Hunters. They gave me some pretty big schoolyard bully vibes. Except they have knives. Which, I mean, I don't know. Some schoolyard bullies are awful. I've read Lookism. But yeah, they beat up on Omura a bit before Otoya does his big damn heroes thing again by spraying Jiro with a fire extinguisher. This gives Omura time to escape and to cast aside the Black Star by chaining it to a cinder block and letting it sink to either the bottom of a lake or ocean. I do not know which. The Slake. The Slotion. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, Omura dumps it and swears that he will live off of Otoya's music from henceforth. At a cafe, not the cafe in 2008, uh, Wataru is meeting with Keisuke. 
Wataru asks Keisuke what exactly are the Fangires and whether they are all antagonistic toward humans. By the way, Wataru is like killed at a minimum like six Fangires at this point and is now asking this question. Yeah, but they were chaotic evil. It's all right. He didn't know that for all of them, though. Yeah, one of them was neutral evil. But anyways, Keisuke responds by being Keisuke. No, they are evil. I am correct, and I am always correct. Fuck you. I actually found this kind of relatable, this Keisuke snapping like this. I think Keisuke has a desperate need for certainty in the world that he just doesn't have otherwise without being a dick. And I find that surprisingly human of him. Yeah, and like he starts snapping uh, when, like, properly when Wataru says, You can't just classify things good and evil like that, which is like the complete opposite of Keisuke's black and white insanity world. Yeah. Still, I get it. It's reassuring to have such a worldview, but it's, it doesn't account for the complexities of the world. And that's and that'll just end up making you more of a monster than the things you're hunting. Yeah, like in the next scene where he does the worst thing. Yeah. We cut to Omura walking next to a construction site. God, this knife is so fucking cool. <laughs> I, I'm going to send a picture of it to you later and post it on Twitter. Like, the, the blade of it, the top half is, like, the standard knife edge for, like, cutting soft things. But the bottom edge is, like, serrated, so you can, like, use it as a mini saw or, like, cut through tougher things. Like the rope you have me bound in at the moment. I, should, I, I shouldn't have let up on the torture. Like, if I, kept, if I kept it up, he wouldn't be ruining the podcast like this. I'm sorry, listeners. <laughs> I'm not broken yet. Wait. Did the OP put you up to this? World is your stage. Go! Ah! (laughs) Omura is being clearly distressed by all the noise from the construction site, drowning out Otoya's music from his cassette player, which at this point was pretty damn obsolete. In his agony, he drops the player only to have it crushed underfoot. He really should have converted to, like, a CD or digital media. The iPod was out at this point, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, he has his cassette player and its headphones crushed underfoot by Keisuke. In the Kurenai workshop, Wataru is musing to Kivat about how some Fengars are actually decent people, only or having found some reassurance from his relationship with Omura. But to his frustration, the bloody rose reverberates and refuses to stop no matter how much he ignores it. You you had to have gotten emotional at this scene, where he's just tightening the clamps on the violin, hoping to uh, keep it from, just, you know, like, just to distract himself and just hope that it's not actually happening. It also lends a lot of credence to what Amber said before about how the Bloody Rose just doesn't shut up. That it's just a constant ringing in Wataru's ears that, can, that sort of forces him to fight. It's it's sad. Yeah. 
At the construction site, Omura is in his frog fangar form, and he's assaulting the construction workers. He's killing the construction workers. Oh no, he's just kind of beating the crap out of them, I think. We don't see him do the fangire thing and eat their I mean, souls. He's not eating them, though. He's just beating them to death. In one scene, we see a literal pile of bodies behind him, and then it pans up to his, like, screaming fangire face. But yeah, Watar runs onto the scene, henshins into Kiva, and tries to restrain Omura from his rampage. Seeing how Omura is not responsive to reason in his current state, Kiva launches a darkness moonbreak, but deliberately misses Omura. Omura then runs away, only to be cornered by Keisuke, who henshins into Ixa. We get to see some more of Ixa's capabilities as he tanks those energy warts from Omura's frog form and uses a gun which has a clip that it pops up into the gun and becomes a blade, which was some real cool ruby-level tech right there. Ixa is such a good design. Oh, absolutely. Ixa unleashes a pretty good finishing move, which I think was... I think the CGI and green screen work here aged pretty well. And it leaves the weakened Omura to shatter within a few seconds. Also, I, I know this this is like real world version of why this exists, is that uh, it makes the toys like com- more compatible. But Ixa's finishing moves uses fusils, just like uh, Kiva does, the little uh, whistle things. And like his have like different designs. They look more mechanical circuitry on them. Are they whistles though? He just slotted it into the fist thing on his belt. Yeah, but it had the same shape and like sort of, and design of the fusils that Kiva uses, which lends some credence to the idea that this is basically humanity making a knockoff of Kiva. Yeah, it's human humankind's answer to the King of Vampires, I guess. Speaking of, is Ixa supposed to be short for something, or is it supposed to be an acronym of some kind? Uh, Ixa is an acronym for Intercept X Attacker. Okay. I see. I mean, not intercept executioner attacker. That, that, that'd be good. Nope. It's intercept X attacker. Okay. I, I think Shima just really wanted it to spell Ixa. <laughs> Ixa unleashes his finisher on Omura, and Omura sort of limps away as he starts to disintegrate and shimmer. Watara runs up to the injured Omura and tearfully asks if it's really time for him to die. Omura explains that this was all his fault for breaking his promise to Otoya, and then he shatters, causing the shards of his Spangar body to fall into the ocean or lake, Slotion, where he dropped the Black Star, ending the episode. Also, they I think they did a decent job making the Black Star look degraded from being in the ocean, because I noticed like some of the body of it was missing, you know? Yeah. It, it was, it was a de- nice attention to detail. Uh-huh. So yeah, uh, what the hell's Lucifer Metal? Uh, well, I don't know about Lucifer Metal, but I can tell you that in Common Rider Ixa, there's a thing known as the Soul Flasher. You see, you know the light bars on his shoulder? Energy can be concentrated there to be used as a flash grenade. The amount of light is 3 million candela. The intensity of the flash can lead to blindness in ordinary people with a single shot, making it even more effective against fangires who dislike light. 
Therefore, it can be said that this is specially anti-Fangire equipment. Additionally, during normal operation, it plays the role of a condition signal that flashes red when a yellow light pops up, a malfunction occurs, or when battery level is significantly reduced. That's pretty cool. I Do we get to see that used at any point? Nope. Not that I recall. Well, fuck. But another cool thing about Ixa I'd like to mention is the light motif it, it gets whenever it's about to be equipped. Like, uh, the first few notes of it make me think of retro sci-fi. That sort of... Or, I can't do it. Wow, hold up. A candela is 12.57 lumens, which means that this is, this is 36 million lumens bright. Man, I could hardly walk outside on a sunny day and to to be exposed to that would just burn out my the eyes from my skull. I mean, that's apparently what it's designed for. <laughs> but yeah, my rider of the week is Omura. He's the most sympathetic Fengar we've met so far, and I think the frog design's pretty good. Also, it was poorly thought out standards because he was eating people that he seemed to think were bad, but weren't really bad. They were just people he thought were unworthy. But even then, that is a set of standards there, and I think that is a step up. Even I think that made him just a little bit better than the uh, the, the Fangars who would kill and eat people indiscriminately, even when he was eating people. Yeah, he, he was being driven mad by the Black Star, pretty much, because, I don't know, like, he's not a heroic or good guy, because he was a murderer for who knows how long he was alive. But he was trying to be better, and he, like, he operated on a different morality. He operated on music morality. <laughs> uh, he's also my rider of the week. I love him. I love what he does for the story. I love the tragedy of it all. It's good. It's just very good. My monster of the week is Toshiki Inoue. There was some missed opportunity for world building when... I, I knew that would happen eventually. Yeah. And this is later than I thought it would happen. <laughs> yeah, there was missed opportunity when they just sort of gloss over how Omura subsists on music instead of human souls. And I guess they may expand on that later, given how you mentioned they were researching different food sources for fangires but yeah there's world building man you can do it uh my monster of the week is the one known as keisuke nago because fuck him you didn't have to crush the man's music at least it would have given him an excuse to finally get a different music player <laughs> yeah no but there's no other recordings of kuro and i want to lose music should have converted that cassette to CD at least. My episode rating on any in any case is 7.6. Seeing Eeks in action was a lot of fun, and ending the arc on a fairly tragic note was actually kind of refreshing. I'm giving this a 10. Oh. I, I love this two-parter. I love Omura and his story arc. I like if this what if this episode wasn't done well, like, and this is future, 
I can't give ratings without future knowledge of knowing how well they compare to the rest of the season. But if this episode didn't work so well, the rest of the show wouldn't work so well. Huh. Well, that's our first perfect score, folks. Cue the angelic choir, I guess. But yeah, I guess that ends our this episode of Common Rider Double A, and I'd like to try something different for our sign off. Red D E. Feast on. <laughs>